Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, the combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight announcements, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 262 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today, we're going to talk about UFC Noche, and we're also going to look forward to UFC Vegas 79. And a little later, as always, we'll be talking about headlines that caught our attention. And reminder, today is free episode day. So... 100% free today. Also, Victor has launched a new podcast. So I'm going to turn it over to him real fast. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And let you guys hear about Victor's new podcast that he's got going with Rafael Garcia. Right? Oh, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, first of all, you might be hearing me a little more uh, a little more passionate and sterling and uh, what's what's the term we're looking for here? Romantic. Uh, yes, I do have my new mic. Finally, <laughs> finally got it working for this podcast. Good <laughs> God. Um, yeah. So we have launched uh, Tracksuits and Machetes Incorporated. Um, it should be up already on Google and Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Uh, me and Rafael Garcia, who was formerly a Bloody Elbow and currently sporadically over fansided in a couple of other places, basically chop up. Um, couple of topics for the week and get silly with it. And it's not really combat sports focused or related at all. Uh, although we do talk a little bit about pro wrestling in the sense that like, you know, we'll, we'll reference a few minor things, but, um, it's, it's not, that is entirely not the focus. It's more about life culture shit that's going on. And, um, the very first episode got a little off the rails pretty quick, unfortunately, because I am who I am. <laughs> and, uh, uh, if you had any questions about the Mitch McConnell malfunction when he froze up a couple of times and got the blue screen of death in his eyes, that was uh, that that's something we definitely touched on. So episode two is dropping very soon as well. We'll be trying to put these out weekly. And of course, I will always be here. I will never give up doing this here with Zephy because she is the absolute best. And of course, this is where I talk about fightings and fighting stuff. And I don't think I'll ever do that anywhere else ever. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. And there is my plug. Thank you. Oh, one last thing before we uh, move on to the actual serious stuff. Mailbag. Folks, you guys have been slacking. Come yes. on, man. Mailbag. Ask questions. Send your questions to mailbag at bloodyelbow.com. And I personally will address your questions and concerns. It does not exclusively have to be about fighting. As I mentioned every week in the WTF post, which I'm also plugging here, by the way, mm. please remember it does not strictly have to be about fighting, although that is preferred. And Substack users get priority. Just please remember to include your handle in the body of the email. I've got one of the most interesting questions. I won't spoil what it is. But it does have to do with a particular competition that I did not know existed, and I love it. So uh, any weird uh, – anything that will drive people down a rabbit hole is more than welcome. And uh, yeah, man, just send me some shit, man. I'm ready to answer your questions, and I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Let's go. All right. So first off, apologies to Rafael Garcia. I tried to Portuguese up your name. Sorry about that, sir. Um <laughs> Uh, second thing, I would like to contribute a topic for you guys. Please, please talk about the scabitude that is going on in Hollywood with some of these talk show hosts that want to come back before the WGA strike has, um, you know, reached a conclusion of some sort. I am pointing fingers at Drew Barrymore and the, um... The guy, what's his name? Bill, Bill Maher. Bill Maher, yeah. So I hope you guys touch on that at some point if you haven't already. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to address that this week after the uh, events that just happened, because holy shit, yeah. <laughs> it seems it may be just maybe bullying kind of works. <laughs> yes, yes. And finally, I made a mistake last week in announcing our contest all the way at the end of the podcast when it was clear that we were wrapping the podcast. So I'm going to re-announce that today, that every other week we will be giving away a $25 Amazon gift card. And it's super easy to win. At some point during the podcast... You will hear a term, a key term. We will draw your attention. Hey, today's key term is this. And it's so easy. The first person to tweet me with that key term wins the gift card. So I'm just going to uh, remind everyone to listen till, till towards the end. Because that's when I'll be dropping the key term. I should have announced this better last week. But I just said, stick around, something special. And then by the time we got to the end, where it was obvious we were wrapping up, people probably thought we forgot about it or something. But in any event, I dropped a key term last week at the very end of the podcast. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But the first person to go and find that key term and tweet it to me gets the prize. Now, next week, we'll be giving away another one. But this week is free episode day. So today's podcast in its entirety will be free. Okay? Okay. Because we love you guys that much. So show us some love back and go subscribe. All right? All right. So now it's time to actually get into the show. Victor, let's take a look back at UFC Noche. Oh, yes, please. Or Noche UFC. Um, listen, let's start at the top with Valentina Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso. That result, it shouldn't have been a draw. I think Alexa should have won the fight. I had her winning. Rounds two, four, and five. Um, round five is probably the swing round for a lot of people because Valentina was winning that round until she got she got that wild hair up her butt for a head and arm throw like a big old dummy and got sat down on. <laughs> And I feel that Grasso did enough in that round because she was she was going for broke to steal it because what Valentina did up to that point was basically point fighting. And I feel that what Alexa did was a lot more impactful to the, to winning the round than anything Valentina did. For me, that was the point of contention aside from the idiot judge that gave her a 10-8. Are you out of your fucking mind, man? But anyways, Victor, how did you see the fight? I was really intrigued by what Chris Reaney had to say earlier about this. And it's one of those things where, yeah, I don't like the score necessarily. I kind of get why. Someone would be inclined to go for a 10-8, but that was not a 10-8. It was however, not. However, the right person ended up with the belt in the end. Now, unfortunately, due to the circumstances of it being a draw, it is still murky. But you know what? Even though it was a draw, it seemed pretty clear to me that Alexa won. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, the fact that the most impactful moments of the fight belonged to her. Mm -hmm. And she did do more damage over time. Um you know, this is this is where the people, you know, whenever you want to have these guys that bust out, they start breaking out the abacus and start counting. Well, this person landed more significant strikes. Well, let me ask you a question. If you land 10 significant strikes on me, right, and I'm still upright, but I land three significant strikes on you and they put you on roller skates. Mm hmm. Should that not be counted? It's not. You don't tell the full story exclusively with certain metrics. And we really need to be able to take that into account when we're addressing the results of these fights and trying to make sense of the scores and the consequences on Sunday mornings. 
as it relates to this particular fight, I felt Alexa should have gotten the, the you know clear cut win. Uh, I feel like it's being treated as a win, except for you know maybe some detractors. Uh, and I understand people look, people have the right to disagree, people have the right to their opinion. I get that, but facts are facts. The right person is still holding the belt in the end. So it's one of those things where like, yeah, the execution was not right in the judging. But at least the right person walked out of it, even if it wasn't with the right decision. Ultimately, I don't know if that's making too much sense. Maybe it's a little messy. It's um, not. I, you know, or maybe it's not messy because I know you so well. But I get where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, look, man. I, I, the weird thing about it is, no one's ever done this to Valentina. And another thing, Rini mentioned. I hadn't thought about this until I read it. That <laughs> we're recording Tuesday until I read it this morning. Not even Amanda Nunes had put it on Ama- on Valentina the way that Alexa did this. Right? Fight. Yeah. I th- that is the worst. Like when she picked her up, when she picked up Valentina and dumped her, I was like, "Oh, you have got to be fucking kidding me!" Yeah. There is there is a thing when a fighter starts to not necessarily fall off, but what yeah, I say it all the time: people get figured out, right? You know, and 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 you start to see things getting chipped away. We saw Jennifer Maya take her down and take a round off of Valentina. We saw Tyler Santos mm-hmm. do a very significant amount of control uh, work on the ground and and make some progress. And it starts to be a thing where you start to look a little more mortal. You know, that one arrow pierces through the armor. You go, you know what? I got a Gatling gun, motherfucker. Let's go. I'm not, no one's scared of you anymore. You're no longer the boogie woman. And that's not a, a detriment. That's not knocking Valentina in any way. That's not an insult in any capacity. It's just saying that like, yo, these are the facts now. The pack is better and they're hungrier and they're, they, they've got you studied and they're better prepared than when the division started with, you know, the, the, the handful of fighters that they had at the start. It's a very different, uh, very different field you're dealing with. And Alexa's evolved. She's grown. And now she's, you could argue that right now she's probably just hitting the very top of her peak. She's mm-hmm. definitely at her peak now. So, um, yeah, that's that's an impressive performance, and the right woman walked out with the strap. Indeed. A couple of other things to note there. Um, you mentioned gradual falling off there. I think that's what we're seeing with Valentina. Remember when Rose had uh, Joanna's number? I mean, she really had it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Zhang Weili as well. Um. It was like she could not get those those losses back at all, no matter what she did. Same thing with Joanna and, and Valentina. They had a couple of matches in kickboxing. They had their match over, you know, in the UFC. Some people have the number. But with Valentina, I feel like had this fight happened four years ago, the first fight, I don't think Alexa would have won, even if it were current form Alexa I don't think she would have won four years ago five years ago when Valentina was really peak I think we're watching a very gradual decline of Valentina over the and you, and you painted the picture beautifully starting with Jennifer Maya lifting a round off of her and then it progressed Tyler Santos Woo! Tyler Santos it could be argued she won the fight and then, I, and yeah, then you I, get mean, I don't. To, I don't remember it well enough to to. It was very close. I did not give it to. It her. was close. Yeah. I did not give it to Tyler. I gave it to Valentina, but it was so goddamn close that I would not have made a peep if they'd given it to Tyler because mm. it was that close. Right. And then, and then you get to the first Grasso loss, and then you get to the second Grasso loss, and I was a little um, disappointed. When she blamed it on Mexican independence, that that bugged me a little bit because you know what? Valentina can never accept that there might be an error in her game. It's always some external circumstance that contributes to any loss or any rounds that she lost. She is not a good loser. She is not <laughs> graceful. Um and I, I thought that was like the least graceful moment of her career when she did that, when she said that. That was how are you, ugly. How are you going to say some shit like that? You yeah. ain't even in Mexico, man. Like, exactly. What the fuck was that? And then on top of that, right? On top of that, 
were any of these judges Mexican. Right. <laughs> and then on top of that, she's over here claiming that she was fouled with those knees. I'm sorry, madam, but your hand was not a weight-bearing hand. You were clearly throwing it down to game the system. There was fingertips. She got hit with the mm-hmm. Paul Buentello. And yeah. I've told that story many times. You were playing the game. Yeah, yes. Congratulations. And that's a weird... That, oh, God. Again with the Gatling gun, man. Alexa was like, I don't give a fuck about your hand. Just lifted her up, knees. And she kept doing it. She kept it. Was mm-hmm. She was so smart even in that situation but this thing with the way valentina handled it i don't even think like the amanda nunez losses you know those were those hurt a lot more because of how close they were you know Mm -hmm. this was a lot more decisive to me and and to most people too from what i'm understanding the reaction the reactions that i'm gauging uh I, i just don't get like bro you gotta hold that and i don't think that there should be any reason for an immediate rematch either Yes, I, mean, I oh my goodness, no, there shouldn't be. Why? Um <clears throat> I I get that this was controversial. I do. It was a close fight. Don't get me wrong. And I don't think Valentina has um deteriorated enough to warrant that she not be in the top three or top four or whatever. I think she's the number one contender. I truly do. But I don't need to see an immediate rematch here. I I, I I thought that that was my initial knee-jerk reaction Saturday night. But the more that I've thought about it, the more I I kind of side with Alexa and her team saying maybe some fresh blood. I like Mm. the idea that she's willing to not stall out the division with with another rematch. Have Alexa Alexa fight her sister now. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, God! You are not even right. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's not that's not I, in I any wanna, way possible. I want to tell you about something that was tweeted to me that made a lot of sense too. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy named uh, I want to say his name is Fighting. I think he has an uh, he has an avatar of an an, an old timey boxer and i want right. to say his his twitter handle is fighting or something fighting whatever i can't remember but he made the very astute observation that valentina has never really trained at a big camp that she's mm-hmm. you know very nomadic in her training and for some fucking reason the first fight with alexa she trained at this nowhere camp in maine just mm. no a camp no one's ever heard of you know what i mean yeah for, uh, his name is knockout ned okay let oh yeah yeah, yeah i remember him yeah good let dude. me read this to you uh it, it's a this spans two tweets I think my skepticism about Valentina coming up with a better game plan for Grasso is that she's not really part of an established camp. Her head coach is her brother-in-law. She's a classic camp jumper that trains here, trains there, Tiger Muay Thai sometimes. Yeah. It's it's not like she's at ATT. She's no. ne- and then the second tweet says she's never been at a regular camp. Anytime I looked at her Instagram two years ago and she, Oh, okay. This is what he was talking about uh, two years back. And she had done her whole training camp at a tiny gym in Augusta, Maine for some reason. Also not sure if her brother-in-law is a strategic mastermind. And I would have to agree there too. Hello, head and arm throw. Um, mm. And that's not the first time she's got caught with her pants down with that either. Well, you see the thing with the head and arm throw as derided as it is in, in women's MMA. And, and I think um, actually, no, it was Julie Kesey who had a really good explanation for that. Look, women have a lower center of gravity. It's going to have a, a bit more of a high success rate. And also, you know, the fact that, a lot of these women are not exactly very well versed in takedowns uh, outside of a double leg or two. So the head and arm is just like almost always there for you. Mm. Um, but this is this is another situation. This is like the equivalent of the of the of the, the, the double leg when you're not, I guess. But that's the thing. I mean, I, I guess maybe I shouldn't say that because Valentina's pretty good with her double leg too. It's not the cleanest, but it, it works for her. So I guess this is what her desperation default looks like. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's there, grab it because it's easier. It's quicker. It's in the final minute of the fight. Maybe I can do this and steal the round in the end and work some damage. Nope. Didn't happen. (laughs) Did not happen. And, and Fedotov, that's an interesting case. 
Um, look, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to cast too many aspersions, but I think it's a little weird that this guy uh, has known these girls since they were, what, 13, 14 or whatever. Exactly. And he's their trainer. And, and he's married to her sister. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put too, look, I, I need to know more, but I don't like what I'm seeing just from a preliminary, just, just from like a very, you know, distant observation that, that, it, that's a very weird look and yeah, moving around. It's always, you know, they were at Trevor Whitman's for a spell where Valentina was training with Rose. Um, they were at, um, some gym in Mexico a couple of times, I think. Um, they were in Texas. She's always moving around. I don't know if it's because of Antonina's pilot job. I don't know if it's some secret spy shit that she's doing. Maybe there's just different uh, <laughs> shooting ranges that she likes to visit in her spare time. I don't understand what's going on. It seems like you have a phenomenally talented fighter that is extraordinary at what she does. And, you know, that's the only product on an elite level that this one coach is able to deliver. Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't coach anyone else, you know, that's very, yeah, that, but that's right. I mean, that's the thing. Like this is, he's not a boxing trainer. What the hell, man? I mean, Edmund Tarverdian had more people. How is this possible? <laughs> right. I'm trying to figure this. How, how the fuck? No, seriously. I mean, <laughs> this dude is more successful. You could argue in terms of in ring results, but fuck. <laughs> How does this continue to happen? I don't, I don't get it. But I didn't know Antonina had a pilot job. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can see her all over Instagram. It's pretty cool, man. I mean, she seems like a super, super She's cool person. She's a pilot? She's a pilot, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's good money. So her husband is literally making money off her and, and Valentina. I have no idea. I don't. You, you do know that. You remember the time? <laughs> you remember the time that he got shot in Peru? I, they were I they were chilling like, in Peru at a yeah. chicken shop, and and a shootout broke out. Right. They somebody was trying to rob the spot, and I he, that. oh yeah, he pulled out the yopper, started clapping back. That shit was nuts. He got he caught one in the gut. Wow. Fucking crazy, man. This sport, bro. I tell I'm you, you is, right. You don't you don't hear this shit in and Major you League don't. Baseball is not going to have stories like this. Nope, nope, nope. Certainly you don't have not. a you don't have Joe Riggs jumping off a rooftop in fucking Hawaii in in golf. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the co-main event, which was a bit of a dud. Uh, we had Jack Della Maddalena fighting Kevin Holland. Listen, they, they put on, hmm. They put on a point fight in my opinion. That's what mm -hmm. it looked like to me. And I feel like Kevin Holland he just doesn't have enough spin on his punches. And I feel like he, he maintained range because he was not willing to get in there and mix it up to find out what the hell kind of spin is on Jack's punches. And you know what? I can sympathize and, and empathize with that. I wouldn't want to get punched by him either. But you know what? I don't get paid to get in there and do that. So, Kevin... I kind of feel like this one's on you. I, I mean, how do you really, do you really want to sit down too much on your punches when you're fighting a guy like Jack? I don't, I don't know. I think they were both being very respectful of each other's power. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think what we got was still a pretty exciting fight regardless. And, um, I still think it was much more winnable for Holland than what we saw in the end result. Um, I think a few of those exchanges could have probably gone his way and could have changed the the uh, the tenor of the entire bout. Mm. But we got what we got. Jack gets a win against a very notable opponent in the division. That's a good step up. He's being treated like a true contender. And Holland, no shame in this loss. You lost to a guy who could in very short order be fighting for the belt sometime either next year or midway through the year after. Like, just three or four more wins, and Jack could very easily be in the title conversation. So uh, I, I guess this is smarter booking than than I had anticipated in that respect, you know? I mean, Kevin didn't really look like he was falling off, right? No, no, not at all. Right. It just looked like he didn't want to really 
engage in the pocket. And when Jack managed to uh, put his back on the fence and get in there tight, man, every time Jack got close, he was clubbing the fuck out of him. And Kevin was quick to get out of there. So props to his defensive mechanism because it's it's working like a charm. Yeah, um, absolutely. But there were moments where the crowd was booing, you know, during this fight, this fight that we never would have expected to be the way it was, because it, it, to me, it looked like a point fight. Oh, I mean, I, I go, I don't know. I, I don't I think it kind of had to be because of the nature of the two sure, guys involved. Sure. Yeah, but I've seen better point fights. I mean, I just watched Valentina Shevchenko. It, that looked like a point fight a little bit on her her um, behalf, but it still was exciting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. Anyways, let's move down to Raul Rosas Jr. Oh, defeating boy. the chalk outline that they put before him in record time. Took him just 54 seconds to get that win. Um, it, we, he was supposed to get that win, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he got it. And look, everybody completed their assignment. Okay, Mitchell had to know that he was being served up, that he was uh, at a pretty strong disadvantage. And that's, uh, I guess that's okay. <laughs> I laid out the case last week, man. I told you who these motherfuckers were. All right. I told you exactly who Mitchell was and I told you exactly what Rosas does. And the only real big surprise here was that Mitchell got caught standing. You know, that was, and it wasn't even that much of a surprise. It's more like, okay, you know, the kid, you know, Raul it put a little bit more pop on his punch this time. That's it. That that That's the only major surprise. So, I still feel uncomfortable having a literal fucking teenager in the UFC. I can't, <laughs> I can't man. I can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel you. But anyways, uh, let's let's move on to what for me was a highlight of this card. One of two. Um, Lupita Godinez, goddamn Loopy, man, she is so awesome. I love her. And watching her pick up Elise Reed and dump her after literally almost knocking her out against the cage. I mean, she had her up there. It was, it was almost a standing KO. I mean, it came damn close. And then she picks her up and dumps her. I just loved it. But props to Elise Reed for hanging in there. For as long as she did, because she was getting that fucking work. <laughs> Man, listen, when she sprung up after that takedown and then started getting punched in the face, the, the man, you know, Loopy really took it to her once she found that opening. Man, that was, mm -hmm. you know, the 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 scary armbar situation early. That was that was pretty, you know, pretty gnarly. But all right, it, it, it you know, you gut it out, you do what you can. But then it was there was no question after that as to who was the better fighter that night. And Loopy just fucking sensational, man. That's a that's exactly the kind of performance that you want to stand out from the pack. So good for her. Mm. Now, my other one was Roman Kopilov defeating Josh Frim. Man, Roman Kopilov. When I first became a fan of him, I became a fan he actually lost his fight that that time. Hang on, I'll tell you about it. it was when he fought Albert Duraev. And mm. that fight was gang fucking busters. Man, it was so good. And even though he lost, I just, I, I became a fan. You know, he was great in that fight. And then he goes on to win his next four. I mean, you can literally watch him get better from fight to fight. If there's ever a guy that you can watch his improvement in real time, it's him. And mm. I like that because Josh Fremd was not going in there to lose lightly. He was going in there to do some damage. And he did get in a punch that wobbled Kapalov a little bit. But what's a Kapalov fight without him getting put in some kind of danger? It's just, I, I am super glad to see that those moments are less and less between fights. You know? That is true. That is very true. That's where you're starting to see. Listen, a lot of the time progression is not as pronounced from one fight to the next, right. you know, but in this case, yeah, you still like you see the bits and pieces where he's closing those gaps. And mm -hmm. man, this is a dude 
middleweight really fucking needs it, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you're seeing if you've been watching contender series, I have not, a, I have not seen a single contender series match this year. Not yet. I'm actually going to wait. Maybe, maybe after this week's edition, I'll start catching up and sort of like binge them, you know, do that because, you know, I don't have to watch them live anymore. But, uh, there is there's such a they're starved for talent in that division they really need that and they're really needing somebody that is exciting somebody that can fight smart somebody that can be championship material in the future is copy love that we have yet to see however he's looking pretty good right now he's looking like top 10 top 5 material right now a dude with this kind of with this kind of progress with this kind of pedigree you give him enough time, man, he can develop into something beautiful. So I'm glad that they're also not rushing him, at least not yet. And uh, I, I really want to see what they do with this guy next because he's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And the final fight that we chose, Tracy Cortez uh, defeated Jasmine Jasudovicius. You know what? I have newfound respect for Tracy Cortez. She ha- Her striking looks phenomenal. That yeah. was a very very good win for her and then we have to go back in our memory bank so a little bit to back to when she was in invicta because she holds a win over aaron blanchfield as well and that was before she polished her game up to what it was looking like saturday night because she looked good in all areas yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's crazy i and, and you know what i had no idea that she had been training over at Cejudo's camp, mm. which probably, if I had known, would have uh, given me a bit more, um, how should I put this? I, I would have probably been a little more inclined to uh, to, to pick her that, in that particular fight. Her hands looked great. Her composure was lovely. I mean, she looked like, okay, this is what she should have looked like two fights ago. Mm-hmm. But hey, it's happening now and it's not too late. I don't want to say better late than never because it's not late. She's still 11 and one. You know what I mean? She's still, what, 29? Like, she can still make a really good run, you know, and have even more impressive performances. Like, there's no shame whatsoever. Her only loss was her pro debut. Mm. She hasn't lost since. So it's not a matter of like, well, she needs to turn a corner. It's like, nah, just getting over some humps from here on in. And again, now she's looking like a top contender. Another eye-opening performance, which Mm. is only great for her. And it made for great viewing as well, because that was a cracker. That was a great fucking fight. It sure was. Um, we had, uh, Charlie Campbell getting the win over Alex Reyes. I'll be watching Charlie Campbell going forward. Yes. He was cringe on the mic. Yes. He's a rock fan. You know what? I don't, I, I don't begrudge him that, you know? Yeah. Me neither. Um, seeing the rock in the ring Friday night. Fuck. I, I won't lie. It gave me chills because I was a huge rock fan. You know, as long, look, as long as you're not defending Black Adam, oh I don't see a problem. Oh God, nope. As long as you don't defend anything that happened immediately surrounding the orbit of that film, <laughs> you're good. You can totally look. I get it, too. I was also a fan. That is OK. You want to defend Jumanji? Be my guest. I didn't see them. I do not give a fuck. I did see Walking Tall. And I'm not mad at that. Good. Mm. Fast and Furious? Sure. Whatever the hell else this guy did, sometimes you just got to get paid. I'm not mad at that. First Jumanji was really good. Second Jumanji, you can skip. Yeah, yeah. You know what I did feel bad about in this card was the um, unfortunate no contest there between Daniel Lacerda and Edgar Jadis. That was brutal, man. I mean, like, props to the ref for apologizing to Lacerda immediately in the cage. Yeah. You know, and trying to like trying to, you know, I don't know, not defuse it, but at least be be professional enough to admit mm-hmm. that he was wrong. But now you cost both of these guys a bonus, man. You know, not, not even a bonus, just you cost them their win money. Exactly. And that's what like fucking this, stings. Yeah. Stuff like this illustrates the point that we always try to drive home that system, that win show system that has to go because of instances just like this. Every time it goes to a split, I mean, a, not a split, a draw, you're looking at two fighters that don't get their win money. That's, that's right. That's really shameful. Now, that's there's right. one final fight. We did not pick this, but I think Josephine Knudsen, because she does pronounce it with the hard K, I believe. 
I think that girl is somebody we need to keep our eyes on. She looked phenomenal. Now, Marnik Mann is a tiny, tiny little person. Mm -hmm. And Marnik Mann is also not built for fighting. I'm not saying she's not built for the UFC. I am saying she is not built for fighting, period. Yeah. Josephine Knudsen went in there and, man, that was a stomping. And this was um... a... Shit. This was this was a replacement too, right? I believe yeah. this was um yeah. So Yasmin Lucindo was supposed to fight Josephine and had to uh withdraw due to injury. Mm-hmm. Marnik gets the call up after being on contender series. Of course. And Newson was had also been on contender series and she didn't get signed because I guess she wasn't exciting enough or whatever the fuck. Like this is again where that 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 bullshit it's bad enough that it's a meat grinder. Mm. It's bad enough that this whole thing is is just a, another chaotic exercise. It's still the best recruiting tool that they have, but look at what it's being used for for even more draconian measures. It's fucking oh God, man. I just it just I feel bad because Marnik now like there's fighters that we talked about uh, Tukali last week, right? Mm-hmm. The Pleasure Man. How he maybe was not ready for the UFC. What was the other guy the Hollywood uh, with Beverly Hills Ninja Jordan something? You remember that guy, big, tall, white dude, middleweight? He looked oh. real exciting at oh first. Oh, my God, yes. I can't remember and, his last name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. And he did not succeed in the UFC. It does not mean you are not a good fighter. It means you're probably just not ready for this level yet. And that's what's happening, man. That's the the biggest, the, the most poisonous aspect of how the in-ring product is affected. Because now this girl went out there and took an ass beating for what? Just to say that she's in the UFC? I mean... Mm. I'm she just sure. doesn't strike me though as a good fighter. I mean, the goal really is to get into one of the bigger promotions. Yeah. And if if you're angling for the UFC, we now know that the bar is really low. The bar for entry is super low now. Yeah. It yeah. used to not be that way, but the contender series has basically made a a yellow brick road for these people but it's it's kind of um misleading because it looks all shiny and everything until you actually get in there Mm -hmm. yeah anyways we we must move on we do have another card to pick out this week we have ufc vegas 79 uh, yeah, or UFC Fight Night, Fizia versus Gamrot. Um, aside from the top three fights, this is a passable card. Um, there are some names on here, but terrible mismatches. Yeah, I, you know what? I was just I gonna mean, say every I, fucking fight yeah. on here, aside from the top three, looks to me like a wild mismatch anybody with a name i recognize it's i mean mizuki inoue and hannah goldie yeah that's there is one in there uh jake collier and muhammad usman that might end up being a little competitive because jake collier is kind of a dog and muhammad usman is super raw but that's a terrible fight just based (laughs) on the fact that of what I just said. So you have this this catch-22. It might sort of be interesting in that it'll be a sloppy, probably bra- all-out brawl between two heavyweights. Oh. Now, Muhammad Usman isn't sloppy for the reason that I call Jake Collier sloppy. Jake Collier looks like a melted ice cream cone. This guy used to fight at middleweight. And now, and now he's uh, uh. anyway. Um, Jacob Malcoon and Cody Brundage. I mean, that's clear for Jacob Malcoon. Uh, Tim Means and Andre Filo. I that well, that one I don't even know which way. But the the point I'm making is is it looks like like he, Charles Jordan and and Ricardo Hamos. Yeah. See, what I say with that last, not for this past event, but the one prior, really good performances, not great fights. Mm. That's what this is. This is from a from a distance. This is what that looks like right yeah. here. That's what this is. You can preemptively tell that this is going to be one of those. Like, yeah, I mean, like, Kalia versus Usman. Neither one of these guys has a great gas tank, and they fight nope. ass ugly. Yes. 
I mean, I'm talking about like just just terrible. Just neither one of these guys has anything that's aesthetically, you know, pleasing to watch. Nothing. They don't have that litany of finishes or the potential for finishes against each other. Nope. What am I watching? Brian Battle, AJ Fletcher. I mean, yeah, that's okay. But even for a sausage making card, it's fourth from the top, which yeah. I mean, a little weird considering Charles Jordan is right there. But then again, what do I say all the time? Card hierarchy is dead because you have to appease your affiliates. You have to ESPN. They're no dummies. You got to keep the over the hour numbers moving. You can't put all the sucky fights in a one hour block. You got to spread them out. So I get that. You got to put some of the bigger names. Miles Johns, you know, Tim Means. It, it's it, yeah. Great names. Great names, good stuff, you know, guys that are reliable action fighters. This can be fun. There's a lot of potential for fun. Just don't expect too many of these to be competitive. Yeah. Tim Means, though, is on a three-fight losing streak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see what Andre Filo is looking like. Andre Filo is also on a three-fight yeah. losing streak. So I am thinking, especially with Tim Means probably bring, bringing down um, – a decent paycheck every time that this is probably going to be a loser leaves town type of deal. Uh, Wait, no plot twist. They probably both leave because let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. Fialio Fialio has three straight losses, all three of them by finish. Yeah. And here's a guy who's used to being the hammer because most of his wins are by finish. Yeah. And And you're putting him in there against three. Yeah. Our finishes as well. Yeah, I mean, means as he's he's a he's a tough, wily, and very uh, unpredictable guy. But he slowed down a lot. Yes, yes, he has. Yeah, he's not catching a lot of things that are coming at him anymore. He's not able to duck and move and dodge or anything like that. And it's he's also miles. getting caught up on the ground too. So yeah. Anyways, all right. So we are going to go ahead and look at the top three fights from the bottom up. Marina Rodriguez versus Michelle Watterson Gomez. This is like the rematch nobody gave a shit about. Why are they running this back? Because in Rodriguez's, or Rodriguez's, um, actually, is she Marina Rod or Marina Hod? She's Brazilian. Go with the age. Rodriguez. Okay. In Gomez's um, four-loss run, <laughs> the first of those was to Marina Rodriguez. So why are we doing this? You know, even earlier in the day, we, we, we kind of – I mentioned this earlier that um, Marina, <laughs> even from a ranking perspective, you got number eight versus number 12. It still doesn't make too much sense, though. You know, I'm, I'm still not understanding how that happens. And just for clarification, just so just so we're absolutely clear with that, Marina's ranked number eight. Yeah. Watterson Gomez, number 12. Yeah. Um, why is this happening now? I don't understand. And Marina's got a two-fight losing streak. But look at who it was. Amanda Limos and Brina Genderova, which very tough competitors, very, you know, both have blossomed into high-level competitors themselves. But this is the step back you're giving. What? Why is this happening exactly? I don't I don't know. Maybe they, they view Michelle as marketable and they want to still give her something competitive. Why they agreed to this. Maybe this is another make-busy fight. Maybe this is another, um, you know, we owe these people fights and contractually we have to make this happen. Because this is not a late replacement. There was no cancellation right. from either one. Yeah. So in any event, I'm taking Marina Rodriguez. Mookie's taking Marina Rodriguez. And I'm going to bet that you are too. You bet. You absolutely. You should absolutely believe. Yes, I am going to go with Marina. All right. So time to get to the co-main event. Because remember, folks, we are only picking three fights because we're so disappointed in this dismal card that these are the only three we found we liked. Co-main event, Bryce Mitchell versus Dan Ige. Victor, I'm going to let you take this one away. Okay. Well, Dan Ige can fight smart and he can counter wrestling uh, pretty well unless it's a certain level of grappler. I don't think that Bryce Mitchell is that guy and he cannot hang on the feet. So I'm going to go with Dan Ige. All right. Well, Mookie has taken Bryce Mitchell, but I am siding with you with Dan Ige. 
Um, one thing that I like about Danny Gay is he hits like a truck. <laughs> and Bryce Mitchell doesn't respond well when he gets smacked around a good bit. And Ige has confidence on his side too because he's on a two fight win streak and his two wins are over two phenomenal guys damon jackson is a really good grappler and nate landwehr has grappling and hands and he beat him too so i'm i'm liking what i'm seeing from this new rejuvenated Dan Ige. So I am picking him. I cannot believe he's only 32. It feels like he's like 40 already. <laughs> you know, no no offense to Mr. Ige there, but it just feels like he's been fighting a lot longer than he has. Yeah. All right. So we have Victor taking Dan Ige, myself, and Mookie is taking Bryce Mitchell. So two Egays and one Mitchell. Then we get to the main event. Rafael Fiziev taking on Mateus Gamrot. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and kick this off. I really like Rafael Fiziev. I love watching his fights. They're never, ever boring. But the problem I have with Rafael Fiziev is that he feels durability wins fights. And by that, I mean that he's willing to risk a huge brawl where he gets absolutely routed, but because he's standing dead in the middle, willing to take it and willing to dish out what he can around whatever his opponent is throwing directly at his face. Um, and it makes fights exciting, but if he wants to win, he's going to have to put them hands up and defend a little better and find ways around guys that are willing to fight him in the pocket. Because Mateus Gamron is that guy. He's willing to stand in the pocket. And he's got wrestling and he's got hands. He's the, the, the total package here. So I'm taking Gamron. I'm not going to feel bad about it if he loses, though, because Rafael Fiziev is also capable of turning in performances against guys like Gamrot that, you know, completely shock you. So nothing is out of the realm of possibility here. But if I'm going with who I think has the better chances, I'm going with Mateus Gamrot. And so is Mookie. And so am I. <laughs> <laughs> Got any cherry to add to the top of that? Nah, man, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. So the 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 thing with Fiziev, too happy to get into these brawls. Gamrot, mm -hmm. too smart to get into brawls. Yeah. I mean, that's not saying that Fiziev is dumb. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, you know, you we you have a guy who's much more let's go go forward, and you have a, another guy who just. You know, just 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 works a much more complete game at a different pace. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. So I have two topics I, I want to talk about. And the first one is super, super important. So it is taking center stage right now. And that is Zach Arnold from over at Fight Opinion. Dude is awesome. And he's been writing for Bloody Elbow for a while now. He has something out on our Substack, but a big, big portion of this article is available for free on Bloody Elbow. And it's about the California State Athletic Commission possibly going broke. Uh, the title is called California's Cruising for a Bruising. And basically, it is, and I quote, a dreadful combination of higher taxes, mergers and acquisitions, aging promoters, and a rise in demand for unsanctioned slap fighting events that has created a witch's brew for the California State Athletic Commission. Now, a combat sports collapse in California will have massive implications for domestic business in the United States. So why does this matter to the ecosystem? Well, you may not care right now, but you might care later because atrophy is the worst thing that can happen for developing new fight promoters in the United States. And what is happening in California is the 
very diff definition of atrophy because nobody's holding events in California. The UFC is playing hardball definitely with California because they are one of the last holdouts for releasing purses, fight purses to the public. They are definitely a big holdout on weight cutting measures. There's just a lot of things. California drew a line in the sand. And I think a big part of it was when COVID was happening, you know, in, in 2020, when it, we were really gripped in the middle of it. And CSAC had just basically shut everybody down. And the only people that were left was the Indian reservations. And they even declined the UFC. But I think the UFC um, really holds a grudge towards California for that whole conglomerate of, of factors there that rolled into one big red flag for the UFC. And then them making a, a, a very vocal statement about not approving slap fighting. Like I, I believe the statement was something like it'll never come to California. And that was, as we were just talking about, that was the cherry on top for the UFC to make their line in the sand and say, you know, we shall not cross this line into California again. So I'm looking at this and I'm kind of freaking out because you know, who does hold events in California, like all the time, Bellator. Bellator holds <coughs> lots of events in California, but outside of Bellator, when's the last time that there was any kind of a major event in California? Can you remember? Nope. Nope. Can't. So you want to weigh in on this? It's a very interesting piece, and I would urge everybody to please check it out. You have no excuse not to. It's free. We released it for free for your perusal, but also due to the fact that it is important and has terrifying implications because it spreads out in so many different directions. The question is as to where this money has gone. Right. I mean, the, this, the, the revenue that was being accumulated from combat sports has dried up in such a dramatic fashion. Uh, it, it really is baffling. And uh, more than anything, I'm just glad that Arnold is asking these extraordinary questions because it's like, yeah, this is this is very much worth exploring. And it's not just a matter of the UFC. It's everybody else. It's you know, you don't see as many boxing events. Right. And wherever the UFC goes, everyone follows. But it also stagnates development. Because you're not having the big shows out there, so it's harder for some of these guys to get exposure in their own home state if they're living and training in California, which has a ton of gyms. So it is it is a very um, it's a very compelling set of circumstances that have created this weird storm, and it's all going back to money. You mentioned the media consolidation, all these companies buying each other out, and mm -hmm. and how that affects this stuff too because of the distribution deals and the potential mm -hmm. losses that could come from that. Yep. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a trip, man. I, I don't know that there's really any definitive answers just yet. Yeah, and also <laughs> boxing as well uh, has dried up significantly in California too, and. Top rank is basically the only one that holds events there, but there's a lot of problems with um, broadcast partners. Like for instance, for Bellator, um, Paramount, that's, that's their broadcast partner. Well, Paramount has lots and lots and lots of debt. So if there's problems for Paramount, that means there's problems for, Al Heyman, uh, Tom Brown, Dan Goosen, DeZone, which is the media partner of Golden Boy. I mean, yep. it, it's a it's really a domino effect. It affects everyone. So this is this is a real serious, important story. I highly urge everyone to read this. I it's been on my mind since I first looked it up day before yesterday and man, this is important stuff. So I would urge you to go read it, subscribe to read the rest of it, because even though we have a huge amount of it over here, there's still more on our Substack. Now, the second thing that I wanted to talk about 
was the mass layoffs at WWE because the merger kicked off this past Monday, I believe, or maybe it was last Friday. In any event, the merger is 100% official. And when that happened, they told the folks at WWE, all the staffers that, you know, the, the office staff and people like that, they said, don't come in. I want you to work remotely. And on that day that they told everyone to work remotely, they laid off over a hundred people. Now, one of the people that they laid off was a, a corporate head named, um, let me see here. Frank Riddick III. I want to single him out. He was the CFO. He was the biggest name to be dropped. And while most people will never recognize his name because he's an office head, he was the CFO. The most important part about this is that when this merger happened, a couple of execs, well, a few, three, Frank Riddick, uh, Paul Levesque, also known as Triple H, and Nick Khan. They all received these huge bonuses. Now, Nick Khan's was the biggest. He got $15 million. Mm-hmm. Paul Levesque got $5 million. But Frank Riddick also got $5 million. But he was let go. So I feel like that was probably worked out ahead of time. But the rest of the people, the lower tier people that were let go, you you got to understand, people don't know all the ins and outs of a merger. And while we have witnessed big mergers and we actually get paid to pay attention to things, for instance, when Endeavor bought UFC, we had James Krause come on the show when the, it was just rumor before they actually the sale went through and James Krause said something really interesting to us when we interviewed him he said he told me a mookie he said you kind of get the feel that the sale is getting ready to happen because they've cut the staff and they've got everybody in uniforms even the people in the office are now wearing you know polos or button downs that say UFC on them blah 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 he said and you can feel that changes in the air and I'll never forget that because the first thing he said was they started cutting staff that's what he said this was before it happened so I can imagine what it's like for two giant Con, uh, you know, corporations like this to merge, knowing that Ari Emanuel is at the helm and knowing that he did the same kind of gutting routine with the UFC, you kind of knew this was going to happen. But I guarantee you that the lower ranking office people and, you know, all, all the people underneath all those big time execs that made the big bank, I think they weren't expecting this or they weren't prepared for this because let me read to you a comment. Man, this hurt my feelings. Uh, WWE staff were asked to re- work remotely on Friday when they laid off over a hundred of their employees. Monday was their first time back in the office after the massive cuts and they returned to empty desks, a skeleton crew remaining pro wrestling insiders sources described it as, and I quote a lot of processing during a sad morning and To say that morale among WWE employees has been decimated would be an understatement. Man, that really sucks in the face of Nick Khan getting a $15 million bonus and Paul Levesque and Frank Riddick also getting, you know, $10 million between the two of them, while these 100-plus employees just lost their job due to the unfortunate act of a merger. That's, you know, I'm, I remember when the UFC was purchased and we saw that certain positions that we should have expected to be wiped out, right? Like most notably Chuck Liddell, uh, Matt Hughes, you know, those, those are before Forrest Griffin got to stick around because he was actually doing work. You know, he was actually scouting and doing stuff. Um, but 
we saw what happens when these sort of uh, acquisitions and mergers take place, right? We see that a lot of people, you know, a lot of redundancies get wiped out and a lot of people end up losing their jobs because that's somehow the larger priorities, right? It's a matter of spending less as they view it. I still expect things to get worse for WWE. Mm-hmm. I don't think for a second that it ends here. I think this is just the first of a few waves. I can't say how many because I don't know. But we're going to start seeing that with the talent too. Mm-hmm. A lot of these other wrestlers are going to have to – you're going to be seeing them on the indies. You're going to be seeing them in Japan. You know, AEW is not signing every Tom, Dick, and Harry anymore. You know, they, they there's only so much of that they can do. Yeah. And there's only so many TV hours that they can, um, you know – put out there. So, uh, yeah, I don't get too attached to any of that, but this is what corporatism and capitalism do. It's not going to make the product any better. It's just hoovering up all the fucking money. You remember how mad I got about this shit last week? Mm-hmm. You're lying in my face while you're taking the money when we know you're just about to take the money. This is not helping. And if you think that in order for you to get out of a, a financial commitment or in order to stay afloat for a billion dollar entity, that cutting a few people for what amounts to less than a few million a year, then you have no concept of how money works. But this is a matter of establishing trust with the um, with the shareholders. They like this this kind of showmanship and these stunts. Um, somehow it puts them more at ease. It's a thing that Jack Welch developed. Your stock goes up the more people you fire. I don't exactly know how that seems to apply across the board, but they love doing that shit and they're doing it here now. And um, I'm curious to see if, I mean, I'd imagine that the people in the UFC that are there now are still relatively safe because they've already gone through their bloodletting. But don't be surprised if we start seeing maybe a handful of smaller positions getting abolished and some people taking on a larger workload. I don't know where you trim from, but I know they'll try because now that they're all in under one umbrella, you know, that's the, the belt tightening is, is universal. So um, I, I don't know about I, that. I, I really don't. The, the reason I say that is because they interviewed Ari Emanuel and he mentioned that uh, this was a, a step in the process and that UFC had already gone through it. So by virtue of him mentioning the UFC having gone through it past tense, it didn't sound like UFC was going through it. And to, to further note, the UFC didn't make a single fucking cut. Not one. Not yet. They'll try. I, I think they'll try. I don't know. That's not the I think that Ari feels like he's already done his job where that's concerned. And they consolidated and, uh, you know, Dana's role changed. A lot of changes happened in roles, but I, mm. I honestly don't think that they're going to do a pairing back on the UFC side. I think that there might be a few more cuts coming for WWE, but I don't know about talent either because not a single talent person was cut and that that is universal towards the ufc too they didn't cut talent whenever they um they they uh endeavor bought ufc they didn't Mm. cut any talent but something to note though saturday night john annick said something that caught my attention he mentioned the roster he mentioned how many were on the roster he said in a roster of over 700 fighters. Mm-hmm. And that, to your point that they might cut a little of the talent, that might be the only factor that would indicate that WWE might let go some of the talent is because, one, they make probably better money than UFC fighters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and two, remember, the UFC roster is over 700 right now so there may be some some kind of cuts on the other side who knows but i just found that statement about decimated the the feeling was decimated oh that hurts and it does it does i feel really bad for those people but anyways we are done We hope you've enjoyed this 100% free show. Now, last week's key word was cheesesteak. And since nobody has claimed it, cheesesteak is the key word. So the first person to tweet me that word, cheesesteak, 
you get the $25 Amazon gift card. So do me a favor, follow this guy on Twitter. He is at Vicim Rodriguez. He's on Instagram, Victor Sinister Rodriguez. He's on OnlyFans, Tiger Driver 91. He's on Twitch, Soda Pop Catalyst. And he has a brand new podcast that's called Tracksuits and Machetes Incorporated. Yes. So make sure you check that out. Uh, Mookie can be found on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. He is also the managing editor over at Field Goals website. So if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, that is where you go. Victor and I write for Bloody Elbow. So go over there, bloodyelbow.com. Do subscribe to our Substack. It helps us so much. Please, please, please. And thank you for all the ones that have subscribed. You guys are the real champs here. So on that fine note, we're going to wrap it up. Until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.